He just told them that one's going to betray. Judas got up and went out. Uh, he told the disciples that he's leaving, remember, and they were uh, in kind of in shock. Billy, will you shut that door for me? Uh, thank you. And he uh, he uh, told Peter that he wasn't going to last through the night. He was going to end up, you know, uh, denying him. And so they were starting to get worried. They got really worried. He told them not to be afraid. They're in the first, first part of the chapter 14. But they were to have faith. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And in the second part of this chapter, he's going to give promises. He's going to give promises of of uh, you know they're not going to be left alone. The Spirit's going to come and be with you. He's going to reveal uh, everything I've said to you. He's gonna, all these promises. But before we get, even get into that, I want to show you who these promises are made to. You cannot just go up to somebody's mailbox and open up their mail, grab their mail out of their mailbox, and say, "Ooh, look, I got a letter." You know, somebody else's mail that's addressed to somebody else is not for you. And some, some mail that's addressed to you is not for somebody else. And so Jesus, three times in this part of the chapter, look at verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And look at verse uh, 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it, he it is that loveth me. In verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if a man love me, he will keep my words. You see a pattern going on right there. Uh, Jesus is going to be talking about... The promises that uh, he's leaving, he's, he's already said he's going, the Spirit's coming, he's telling them what, uh, that the Father's coming and that he is coming and that the Spirit is coming and uh, he's giving them all these promises about they're going to be okay and he's not leaving them as orphans and he's going to be with them and protect them and all these things. But he wants to make sure three times, just in this section of the chapter, he is telling these things to people who love Jesus. Okay. Notice he narrows the field. You don't just say if you walk around Brownsville or Jackson or wherever and say, you know, you're Christian. Almost everybody would say, yeah. I mean, unless you're a Muslim or Jewish or Buddhist or whatever, if you're just a regular old person, you say, yeah, I'm a Christian because I live here in Tennessee and we're in the Bible Belt, and everybody thinks they're a Christian. Or you may have a bunch of people, and we've talked about this before. I'm a Christian. Why? Because I walked down the aisle when I was ten. You know, I go grew up. In Bible school and you know all those things, but notice that he narrows the field here. He doesn't say all who are you know Christians, all who are. He doesn't even say all who are followers of me. He says the one that loves me is the one that's going to be keeping my commandments. Now, to say that you love Jesus, that is. I don't know. It's easy to deceive yourself to say that you love Jesus, don't you think? For people, not just you, but for people to say that you love Jesus. You think if I'm a husband and I beat my wife every Sunday and I say, every Monday I say, baby, I really love you. Dude, would you think that I really loved her? No. What if I really felt like I loved her in my heart? Then you're deceiving yourself and trying to deceive her. Yeah, because... Love doesn't act like that, does it? Love seeks the, you know, the well-being of the other party, all those kind of things. And we can talk about definitions of love, but <clears throat> oh. yeah, please do. No, uh, it... say you threw me way off here. Let <laughs> me distracted me. I was thinking about love. Yeah. Okay. But like, don't people think that just because they believe that that's the same? 
Right, yeah. Well, they, they, they think that just believe in the facts. Right. Like a historical... Right. Right. And, and that's not the same as belief in the, in the Bible. It says believe in Him. If you believe in Him, what you're doing is you're entrusting your life to Him. You're placing yourself under Him. You're, you know, you're dying to yourself and picking up your cross and you're following Him to His death. And so this is... What what that does is God himself will put a new heart in you that desires to love Christ. Are you loving him as much as you should be? No, no. So we're not talking about sinless perfection here. Are you keeping his commandments as as you should be perfectly? Yeah, we're not talking even that's not good enough. We're not talking about perfection whatsoever. We're talking about a lifestyle of keeping his commandments, a uh, a practice of life, a, a way of life of seeking after his commandments. Um, Jesus calling? I said if it's not Jesus calling, Think of it this way. I think it was Adrian Rogers who gave this illustration. I'm not sure, but I heard it somewhere. Uh, they used to have a saying when in the old uh, the days of the Navy when they when they uh, you know navigated by the stars and you know like the 1800s or, wh- or whenever. But they had a saying called it was called keeping to the stars. And so what they would do is they would I don't really know how they did all the navigation deal, but they would use the stars and their compasses and maps and that kind of thing or whatever they were doing. And they would line it up on the right star to where they were going and they would they would go. Well, you know, they would sometimes it would get off course, you know, the the, the ship would move and then they would have to realign and get back to the and that was called keeping to the stars. Doesn't mean that you never get off course. It just means that when you get off course, you pull back to the you pull back to where you need to be. And so that's what when he says keep my command he says you will keep my commandments. He it's both a command, if you love me, then keep my commandments. And it's a true a true statement. If you if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That is kind of the evidence of him loving me. Do you think that's a think it's common for people if you a common understanding of what it means to be a Christian, loving Jesus and keeping his commandments? You think most people that claim to be Christians believe it that way? Like, you know, they would probably say, well, I love Jesus, but the keeping his command thing, uh, you know, I just like I just do the best I can. You know, we, we're not really worried about that kind of deal. It's like I, it's like I love the fact that he died for my sins and I believe the facts about that. Right. I always say it's like a little plastic Jesus. You take him out of the take him out of the closet when you need him, and you make sure he's in the closet when you don't want him. Watch him. Uh, but that's not who these promises are made to. The promises are made to those who love Christ, to those who love Him. And so it's not just, hey, I believe there was a man named Jesus and he died on the cross and I believe he rose again. I believe. It's not just about that. It's about those who love him and those who make a lifestyle of keeping his word. And so really, I could look at your life and I could say, I could give an opinion, but you are the only one who knows for 100% sure whether you love Christ or not. You're the only one who knows for 100%, you know, 100% 
uh, surety that you are making a lifestyle of keeping his commandments, walking in his ways, following him, desiring to please him. You know, think about when you love someone. You know, even if, you know, whether it be, you know, you can go all the way back to parents. For some of you guys who ain't married, you know, you love your parents, you love your, your boyfriend, girlfriend, your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister. You, you know, when you love them, when you love them, you may, I mean, you may, you may jab at them sometimes, but overall you want, you want what's best for them. You want good for them. I always said I had a brother and I, I love him, you know, and I'd punch him in the face. But nobody else better punch him in the face. You know what I mean? It's, it's one of them deals. It's like, you know, I, deep down, I want what's best for him, even though, you know, we have our squabbles and all that kind of thing. But to love Jesus is to, is to desire to please him, you know, to desire to please him. So that's who these promises are made to. So we want to make sure we're not opening up anybody else's mail. We want to make sure we're not taking a letter that's not addressed to us and saying, praise God, I'm, you know, I can do this or whatever, because Jesus said, well, Jesus made it clear who he was talking to. And if you can look at your life, even in the last week, just when I say look at your life, sometimes it seems so big. It's like, you know, my whole life. Wow. You know, I just look at the last week. The last week of your life, you know, were were you were you seeking to please Jesus? Did you have any communication with him at all? Did you think about him at all? Did you, you know, did anything happen that drew your mind? I mean, anything, you know, that's the thing. Love is something. Right now, I'm, I'm 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 researching stuff about love, but love is is something that consumes you. Whether it's love for deer hunting or fishing or some person or true love, like especially a deep seated love for another person or in relationship with them, I mean, it consumes you. It consume it's becomes part of your identity, and so. When you love Christ, it becomes part of who you are. I mean, you can't hide it, and whatever's in there is going to come out. You can fake it for a little while. You know, you can fake you can fake love for a little while, but eventually what you love is going to show forth. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Okay, so it says, those three times in this section, it says, if you love me, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 16 says, and I will pray the Father, pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And this is who the comforter is. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him for he dwelleth in you or for he dwelleth with you and he shall be in you. So right here he's talking about the spirit coming. Okay. So he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And this is the promise given. For those that love me, for those that follow me, I'll pray to the Father and he will send you another comforter. And the comforter is the Spirit. And it says that uh, he, will do, he will abide with you forever. There'll never be a time when the Spirit does not live inside of you. Now think about that for a minute. Even when you die and you go to heaven, the Holy Spirit will still live inside of you. Even when you uh, receive a new body and we have eternity and we're back, new heavens, new earth, all those kind of things, you'll still have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. God has, God has shed His love abroad in your heart. He, has, he Himself has come and taken up residence, residence in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, 
That's one of the ways that we know. That's one of the things that points to the fact that uh, it's God working in us that causes us to love Him, that causes us to keep His commandments. Does that make sense? So when I say those who love Him, I'm not. I don't want you to think, "Ooh, I need to really start loving Him more." Uh, what we're talking about is something that's either a reality in your life or it's not. It's not something you can work to, work toward. Do we need to love him more? Yes, we all need to love him more. So it's not, I'm not saying that you, you don't need to work at it or you don't need to try to love him more. And We all need to do that. But we're talking about if there's no love for Christ in you, if there's no desire to seek after his commands, no desire to follow him, no desire to do those things, then you probably have to ask yourself, hard questions about whether you actually are a believer, whether you actually are a Christian, because that's something that God promises he will do in his children. See what I mean? Makes sense? Like first John, we, we know that uh, his love abides in us because we love the brothers. Evidence that he does the things in us that uh, causes us to love him and want to keep his commandments. Y'all have any questions about that? Y'all looking at me with some stares that look strange. God is the one that puts love... His love for us, love for him in our hearts. Um, and we work to love him more and more and more. But love for him is not something that you can manufacture out of nothing. Does that make sense? Everybody see what I'm saying? Huh? Well, I don't, a lost man can't desire it. No, I'm talking about Christians loving Oh, yeah. Well, see, that's the thing. That's part and parcel of what makes you a Christian is that desire to love him. Sure. See what I mean? You know, to get into his word and to talk to him and want to be more like him. Right. Yeah. Wanting to, wanting to be. That's the thing that I run into most often when counseling people is that everybody wants the benefits of what God can do for them. They want blessing. They want not to be sick. They want God's blessing over their life. They want to, but, but they don't want to serve a master. They don't want to, somebody to be Lord over them. They don't want a God to tell them how to live. You know, and I, even people that I'm close to, you know, they'll go and live. I mean, these folks will go and live just hellacious out in the open. I don't even care what you think. I'm going to do what I want to do and forget y'all and that whole deal. And I don't care nothing about y'all's church and y'all's Jesus. And it's all good. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then when somebody gets sick, it'll be all over Facebook. Pray for my, pray for my, you know, I mean, I got my own stuff to work on, so I ain't perfect, but you know, I'm thinking, man, at least you can do is pretend, you know what I mean? Just fake it a little, use something. But that's what I run into is that we don't want, Jesus says, if you love me, and everybody says, you know, oh, I love Jesus. But he says, if you love me, then you'll keep my commandments. And that shows that you love him. Keeping his commandments is not love. Okay, so you can't say, well, I better just, I'm going to start, I'm going to straighten up and fly right. I'm going to start keeping his commandments and then that'll be, that. that's not love. Keeping his commandments is produced by your love. Does that make sense? I know it's confusing. It's kind of, I'm kind of running in circles, but loving Christ comes first. And that's given by God when you're saved. And it's something that we develop. It's something that we work on. It's something that we strive for. So it's not something that there is no effort in, but it is something that's given by God when you're saved. 
And that produces obedience. Salvation, love for Christ, produces obedience in your life. Is it perfect obedience? No, not yet. You ain't dead yet. You ain't glorified yet. But it's obedience. It's a desire to follow after His statutes, His commands. And if that desire is not there, then that is probably one of the biggest evidence that there is no love for Christ. Make sense? Y'all with me? Any questions, comments, cries of outrage? No? And he says, if you love me, and it seems to me that in this section, Jesus is making a point to make sure that we don't miss that. Because he told us three times in three different verses, verse 15, verse 21, verse 23, all three of them say, the one who loves me is the one who keeps my commandments. And so it seems to me, if repetition means anything, he wants us to make sure we understand that. He wants to make sure these disciples make sure they understand that. That all these promises that he's given, that God will come for them, God will come to them, God will empower them, God will instruct them. All these promises that he's making to them in their time of trouble are seem to be hinged on the fact that it's the one who loves me and the one whose love is made evident in their life that they love me. Y'all with me? Okay. So he says, the spirit will come, the spirit of truth, which means he reveals the truth and the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither know him. Why can't the world, we know why the world can't receive him, but why does the world not see him and know him? Or what does that mean that the world can't see him or don't know him? The Holy Spirit. Yeah. The message of the cross is foolishness. That's right. And they want something they can touch and put their hands on and see with the physical eyes rather than seeing with your heart. Yeah. And it's not something, that's exactly right. They want something material. And it's not something that you can snap your fingers and get. It's not a buffet. It's not something you can say, although, you know, a lot of preaching in a lot of places notwithstanding, it's not something that you can just wake up one day and decide. You know, hey, I think I'm going to be a Christian today. What's got to happen? The Spirit has to draw you, has to convict you. You have to be regenerated. You have to, you know, all these things have to happen in the world. Without God's initiative, the world cannot. You, you and I were dead in sin. We were dead. That means we weren't, we weren't splashing around in the ocean hoping somebody would come save us. We was bloated at the bottom of the sea, tagged on the toe dead, you know, bursting forth with putridness and all you know, And Jesus came and raised us from the dead. It wasn't a, hey, here's a life preserver. He came and raised us from the dead. So the world can't see him and the world can't know him. What does that mean? It means that the world, hey, guys, I'm telling you, this is what he's telling his disciples. I'm telling you guys, look, it's going to be fine. I'm going to be with you. The Spirit's going to come. The world, however, they're not going to know nothing about this. And they're going to be against you. And they're going to come against you. And they're going to come against you over uh, as we keep going through. This is John 13, 14, 15, 16. It's one big long talk that Jesus gives. 
and he's going to tell us that the world's going to hate you. They're going to come after you. They're not going to they're not going to be involved in what you want to be involved in. They're not going to want to follow after Jesus. They're not going to want to hear the name Jesus. If you talk about the love of God, the world will say, "Wow, that is wonderful." But if you mention sin and repentance and conviction, they will hate your guts and they will hate you with a passion. So it says the world can't receive him and they can't because they don't know him and they they don't see it. He says, but you know him for he dwelleth with you and he shall be in you. What does that mean? He dwelleth with them. Somebody asked me just a week ago, was there no Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Was there no Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Yes. He, does, he didn't indwell us like he does today in, in the same fashion. But he came upon people. It says he came, Holy Spirit came upon Saul, came upon David. He, uh, you know, that's not Michael. That's really his baby. They were all looking. They thought that was you. <laughs> I know it. Uh, yeah. At, he, he is with them. Christ was with him, but he will be in them is what he's telling. There's coming a day when he will fill you. You ever thought about that? There's no place you go, no place that the Holy Spirit is not right there inside of you, speaking, revealing truth, uh, reminding you of what Jesus said, reminding you of scripture that you read, always leading you, always guiding you. That's one of, in Romans 8, it says that... uh, those who are led by the Spirit are the Son of God. And if you're not led by the Spirit, then you're none of His. And so that's one of the, that's also one of the evidences of faith. It's one of the evidences of salvation is being led by the Spirit of God. Does that mean that you, you know, does that mean that you, uh, you know, are robot being led around by the Holy Spirit or whatever? Does it mean, does it mean it doesn't, isn't going to take work? To hear the Holy Spirit's voice, to get through the clutter of all the world. Yes. You know, sometimes Brother Eddie say, well, the Lord just told me to go back over there and knock again. And, and I'm thinking, how do you even hear that? You know, like, because I'm like, I wouldn't have went back. You know, it's like the Lord, he might have told me something, but I was hungry, so I went on. <laughs> you know, it's like, whatever, you know. I'm always waiting for the sign to fall out of heaven and the Lord goes, oh, you know, and that's not how he, that's not how he speaks. Yes. Is that him getting louder or us getting harder? You see him yell and be like, I'm, you know, quarters, oh. are we listening harder? I don't understand. Uh, well, I think we both do sometimes, do you think? I mean, God's gotten pretty loud with me before. Like, pretty, uh, you know, he, he will take you to the woodshed, so to speak, when he needs to. Do they have woodsheds in Kansas City? That's where you go and get a spanking. Oh, okay. Yeah. He will, there are, time, there are times that I've felt the Lord just screaming at me, don't go there, don't do this, don't say that. Because if you can, then I wish you would all the time. Well, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it would be easier for me if he just yelled all the time. Yeah, well, it would be easier, but you wouldn't develop your relationship with him as much because he's giving you his word. There's nothing in his, there's nothing that we'll go through that his word doesn't prepare us for. 
And that is how, for the most part, that's that's the plumb line by which we know what the Spirit's saying. Does that make sense? Like, plumb line is to make sure it's right, you know, a level. To uh, It's what we judge everything by. When the Spirit comes and says, oh, I think the Lord's telling me, if it doesn't line up with this, then that's not the Spirit telling you. Does that make sense? It's... Okay, well, that's what a plumb line is. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, what you measure it by. So, you know, there was, uh, somebody said, I was having an interaction with the, these folks that I, I do this deal on Tuesday nights around nine. And, and the lady said, well, I had a dream and God told me, you know, this, this, and this, and it didn't line up with the theology of what the Bible says. Or when you read the book about the little kid who went to heaven or whatever and his picture of heaven doesn't line up with the Bible. You know, I, I'm forced to trust the Bible over what you say God told you. You know, sometimes I told her, I said, sometimes when I eat too much grease before I go to bed, I have dreams of midgets throwing little pickles at me. But that, you know, that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean it's God telling me something. You know, you've got to judge your dreams and your whatever, your feelings, your heart. You know, my heart is really telling me that I got to, if it's, if it's scriptural, knock yourself out, go for it. But if it's not, then it's not. The Holy Spirit speaks to you and he will lead you and he will guide you. But he also gives us an objective standard by which we can know that it's him that's speaking to us. See what I mean? There's all kind of spirits, all kind of feelings. And the most shallow part of you is your feelings. I don't care if you're male, female, old, young, whatever. Your feelings go up and down, up and down. You can be feeling good in the morning and somebody pull out in front of you in traffic and you get a cold that afternoon and that evening you're feeling like, like junk. And so your feelings, depending on circumstances in your life, they're going to go up and they're going to go down. They're going to go up and they're going to go down. But we have something more, we have something more objective than that. We have the Word of God. We have that we trust in Him that we, that we, uh, what? Oh, okay. Anything else? Anything else you want to say? Any other questions? Okay. Huh? Is the unknown one has that dream? Come on now, y'all know y'all. <laughs> huh? No, little dill pickles. Little, not even the big good ones. Them little, them little dill midget pickles. Pickle McNuggets. All right, so the Spirit will come. That's what he's telling the disciples. The Spirit will come, and he will comfort. He will help you. Uh, he will abide with you forever. He will teach you the truth. He'll dwell in you. And then, verse 18, it says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. How, is, how does that work? Where he says, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will come to you. First he says the Spirit's coming, then 18 says I am coming, and then in 23 it says if a man love me he'll keep my words and my Father will love him and we will come unto him. So he's talking about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit coming to be with you. The Trinity. Remember our discussions on the Trinity. It's one God in three persons. So they're expecting, he's promising them the fullness of God 
to be indwelling them. He's promising them everything that God is. I'm leaving you. I'm going to be with my Father. I'm going to be crucified so that the gospel can be fulfilled and completed and your salvation can be paid for. And I'm going to be a Father. And But don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I'm going to give you a place. And I'm not going to leave you as orphans. The very fullness of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are coming to be with you. The Spirit's going to indwell you and everything that everything that God is is going to be with you. He's going to be with you wherever you go. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, you're not going to be orphans just trying to do the best you can in this, this old wretched horrible world that's trying to persecute you. Uh, he is coming. He's coming to you. When, uh, when the Spirit came, when you were saved, when you were born again, the Spirit filled you. Christ, through the Spirit, indwells you, and the Father is with you wherever you go. Does that make sense? That's uh, my question when I read that was, does that mean Jesus is in me and with the Spirit in me? Uh, are they both in me? Or And the answer that I keep coming up with is that it is by the Spirit of God that the Father and Son are with me. Does that make sense? Right. It's one. God is one. There's one God. There's only one God. And we did that in the Trinity lesson. Uh, but there are three different distinct eternal persons. So it's not like one is off in Mexico and one's in Canada and they, they don't know what each one is doing. It's, it's one God. And so they're all omnipresent. They're all, you know, they're everywhere. There's nowhere you can go. And now they indwell us when we're saved. Is there any questions while we're on this? If you need to ask while we're here. I don't know. I may not be explaining it just right. I had an incident this week where um, I can tell that it was actually God speaking to me. And I was just like, oh, yeah? And it was unmistakable. You know, it was... Pulling at you, you know, you gotta do this type of thing, or you're gonna have a crappy day the rest of the day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I was in Jackson, and I got um, what I needed to do, and I was like, it's around lunchtime. I was all the way by Target, but God's like, you need to go to Christmas. I was like, okay, okay. He's like, there's a homeless man there that you've seen before, and you need to give him some money. Hmm. And I was like, okay. So what are the chances of this homeless man being there at the time that I walked in there? Gerd was walking in the door. He's sitting right there at the table. Oh. No, and I went, you know, the dog kind of dropped because I wasn't, wasn't expecting him to be there. I could tell that it was God telling me to do it, but I had to make the courage to give him money. Mm-hmm. You know, because I didn't want Even whatever he did with the money, I don't know. Right. But I have peace with it. Because I prayed before I ate that he would use it for good. And even if he didn't use it for good, maybe the other people saw me as a Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. But it was yeah. amazing when I walked yeah. in the door, my heart just sank because I was like, it was unmistakable. Yeah. He was telling me to do that. Yeah. And I didn't. When you first said God told me to go to Crystal, I was thinking, yeah, he's told me that before. 
but not for the same reason. Not for the same. <laughs> hey, but that's good though. I mean, who? What other that? And see, I, I have no trouble buying that because that lines right up with scripture. You know, God helping others and showing brotherly love, and you know all. That it was completely no. unmistakable. It, it wasn't. Yeah. I've felt that way before. About Crystal? No, not about Crystal. I mean, I have felt that way about Crystal. But, you know. Yeah. 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 And that gives you, it gives me a peace to know that he's always there and he's with me guiding me leading me even sometimes when i don't feel him there you know sometimes i pray and i it just feels like my prayers ain't getting through the ceiling but his truth and his promises aren't dependent on my feelings how i feel you know what i mean how i it's not dependent on how i perform you know if i have if i do good today that doesn't make god perk up and listen to me more if I do if I do bad today and mess up, it doesn't make God because Christ paid for those sins. Does that make sense? Now, if you think that gives me a license to go sin, you in the wrong class. You need to go into the children's class over there. Because that doesn't give us a license to sin. It, if you're a believer, you don't want to sin. You love Christ. He who loves me will keep my word, Jesus told us three times in this one section. So we can't we can't go off the deep end either way. He says, I will come to you. He says, yet a little while, the world sees me no more, but you see me because I live, you also shall live. And that day you shall know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Now, that is such a powerful statement. He says, in that day, in the day he's talking about is the coming of the Spirit when you say, he says, you will know that I'm in the Father. Okay, we got that. Jesus and the Father, and you will know that, what is it? I'm in the Father. Read it to me. I need an eraser. That verse says, you'll know that I am in the Father, and you are in me. And I am in you. So the encouragement he's given them. Who's that? Well, I ain't got time to wait on y'all to go get me a towel. There's another one back here. Look, it's some old ratty sweatpants. It's just chalk. Here, I've got a Kleenex. A Kleenex? <laughs> I need one in two ply deal. All right, I'm going to illustrate something. Not very uh, good either. I'm not a good drawer. It says, I am in the Father. So, if this is God, the one being of God, and in the one being you have Father, and in the one being you have Son, one being you have Spirit. That's the one God. Right? We've talked about that before. All of this is the Father, all of this is the Son, and all of this is the Spirit. It's not one-third Father. We've talked about that before. Before there was a creation, God is love, right? If God is love, before there was a creation, how was God love? You can't love unless there's something to love. How do you love yourself without being egomaniac, egomaniac, selfish love? You have to love somebody else. So who did the Father love? The Father loved the Son and the Spirit. Son loved the Father. They spent, I mean, probably wrong way to put it as far as time, but 
Before creation, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were in a perfect love relationship with each other. The Father loved the Son. The Son loved the Father. Father loved the Spirit. Spirit loved the Son. Spirit loved the Father. So they were, that's how God is love. He's love in and of Himself because before there even was a creation, they loved each other and they knew love and they experienced relationship with each other. Okay, that is the perfect relationship. They no sin, no selfishness, no no nothing. Perfect relationship. So what God does is He creates He creates man in creation. Okay, this is man. Little continents. Okay, creation. Man's on the planet. God wants man to experience this perfect relationship with him. So he puts him in the garden and walks with him on the cool of the day. Uh, Man is perfectly innocent, no sin. So he has perfect relationship with God. Then what happens? Man sins, messes it up. So what Jesus did was he came to pay for that sin to bring man back into this perfect relationship. So he says, in that day, you will know, he says, that... Where? 20. At that day, you shall know that I am in my Father, and he says, and you are in me, and I am in you. So what happened was, if you look in the New Testament, it'll say for the saved people are in Christ. You ever seen that? We who are in Christ over and over again. You, you, if you're in Christ, you're a brand new creature. Old things pass away. If you're, you know, whoever's in Christ is seated in heavenly places. And it's just all these things about being in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. So what he did was when he died, he took all, all of those who would believe in him and trust in him. And he brought them into that relationship where the father looks at them and sees the son. Therefore, we as believers get to experience the perfect love relationship of God because we're no longer sinful in his sight. We are sons and daughters of God. He has, Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren and we are co-heirs with him uh, in in his inheritance. Does that make sense? Do y'all see that? Any questions? Comments? Nothing? I thought that was pretty good. No? Okay, but he says, in that day when the Spirit comes and fills you, then you'll know that I'm in my Father. Me and Him are one. And you're going to be in me. And I'm going to be in you. And so He's brought us into perfect relationship with God. And so, I guess we better hurry up. we probably run out of time. It says, uh... Once again, it says 21, He that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Uh, I will reveal myself to him. Make sense? See? Jesus will reveal himself. How does he reveal himself to him? Already talking about Christians. I know he revealed himself to you when he saved you. But how does he reveal himself to us? To the Holy Spirit, give me an example, like on a daily basis, or week, you know, conviction of sin. I will manifest myself to them, make myself real in His heart. I don't think you can walk outside. This is just me, but you know, I get up in the mornings, and one of the first things I have to do is take my puppies outside and 
you know, to see the sunrise or to see the moon hanging there, knowing that it's hanging there because he put it there. Yeah. You know, to me that's a that's revealing, that's a revelation. Sure, sure. And I think that's that's exactly that's exactly what he's talking about. That he he reveals himself to us in that we see his work all around us. We see his work in our hearts. I mean, or just a few verses earlier, it says about the spirit. The world can't see him. Right. That's what you're talking about. Like when she goes outside because she's a Christian, she sees God revealing. You know, and a non-Christian just sees God. Yeah. Just and and doesn't they know? There's no such thing as an atheist, according to Romans one. So they know that there's a God, but they suppress that truth. They suppress that knowledge, and they convince themselves. You know. All this just happened. I think another thing is the love, the fellowship and the love that you have with fellow Christians. Yeah, this is this is how the world will know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. That's one of the evidences. Evidences and love for one another isn't just, hey, I was there at ten thirty when they had service. It's having love for one another, having love for the fellowship, love for the brethren. I think those are exactly how Jesus reveals himself. So in twenty two it says Judah, Judah said to him, notice this is not Judas Iscariot, he's already left. Lord, how is it that thou will manifest thyself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and he said to him, if a man loves me, he'll keep my words. The third time he said it, and he said, this is how I'll manifest. He said, and my father will love him, and we will come into him and make our abode with him. So Judas specifically asks, how will you manifest yourself to us? And not manifest yourself to the world. He said, if you love me and you're one of these that keep my commandments, he said, then the Father and I will come and we'll make our home with you. And that's going to change you, isn't it? When God comes and lives inside of you, that's going to change you. And the man who says that God lives inside of me and he isn't changed is a man who's deceiving himself. A liar. Yes, yes. I had a question when I was reading this verse about... The word, you know, that phrase about he keeps my commandments, is that, is that like a, I mean, I know it's like a continual action. Yes. Um, but not saying that the things that I've told you to now, but even through the Holy Spirit, as I lead you and command you, ongoing. Yes. Is that part of it? Well, when he says my commandments, I take that to mean... Uh, even if you narrow it down to just what Jesus said, that would include like Ten Commandments because he repeated those and everything. Uh, but the apostles specifically claimed that Christ was speaking by their speaking. See what I mean? So it would include like Romans and the epistles and the letters. Which hadn't happened. Which hadn't at this time happened yet. Now, actually, those letters were written down before these Gospels were written down. But these happened, the historical events happened before the letters were written down. So, Jesus' message, Jesus' words, let's put it this way, were given by Him when He came. But they were given to these 12 men who come and took His word out and then of course they wrote it in these scriptures and so when we look at the scriptures we're reading Jesus's words so uh, it, it you can get around it in two or three different ways but the reality is is everything in this book is Christ's word make sense yeah but I was kind of uh, consider the, the Holy Spirit you know 
element of, of leading us in all truth and, and guiding us, like she said. And, right, right. You know, so, so she followed his command. Yes, I understand. And I, I do believe that. So I believe if it was God speaking, and yeah, I have no reason to believe it wasn't, if it was God speaking and she said, you know, forget that, then that would be, that would be sin. See what I mean? But what I would say to that is he will lead you. He will guide you. He will speak to you. He'll speak to your heart, speak to your mind, everything. But we have to judge all things by the objective standard that he's written in the text. Does that make sense? So he does. He will speak. You know, there have been times when, you know, God just laid on my heart to whatever. And that is, I believe that's God speaking. He said he would speak to you. He would live with you. He would abide with you. Um, Now, if God came to me one day and said, or if a thought came to me and says, you know, God spoke to me today and he told me that I'm supposed to leave Dana, you know, ah, that's not God because he wouldn't tell me that scripture denies that possibility that he would say that. So that's another that's another spirit saying that. See what I mean by that? See how that makes sense? It's not always that clear. It's not always that clear. Uh, I mean, that's an easy one. Like, well, God didn't God told me to axe murder somebody. You know, it's like probably not God. You know, sometimes it's a little more cloudy of an issue than that. But there's always something in scripture that he will use to guide you into the truth. Does that make sense? know when we're being spoken to. You think? Yeah, don't you? <laughs> well, sometimes. I can be pretty hard-headed, though. Well, well so that is my whole That has always been my it's the struggle of listening and yeah. myself up. Well, and let me say this, too. The way that... The, the best way to get in tune, so to speak with what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you is through the study of your Scripture. If you don't study your Scripture, then you probably won't, you probably wouldn't recognize it if He did speak to you. So this person who says, you know, I don't read my Bible, I don't really, you know, I go to church, but but, but God just talks to me in this, you know. (laughs) One of the things God said was to study to show thyself approved. One of the things God said was, I'll speak to you through my Word, through my unchangeable state. You know, so... I've told this story before, but many times when God speaks to me, it's not just a, hey, Jason, your pants are falling down kind of thing. It's a, a Bible verse that'll pop into my head for no reason. It's just a scripture that I didn't sit down and try to memorize it. You know, I, I just heard it. I read it. I studied it somewhere. And God will just throw that Bible verse in my, my head for no reason or, or for whatever reason is going on. But, you know, that's how God. And sometimes you're reading. I'm going to tell you what. Sometimes you're reading like my, my reading plan. I do. I try to read the Bible in a year, every year, like go through the whole Bible in a year. Sometimes I don't make it just because I'm one of them curious people. I got to stop and figure out stuff. You know, I just don't want to read through. But anyway, I'll read like through Deuteronomy and Leviticus and some of those things. And I'll get done reading three or four chapters. And I'm like, I have no idea what any of that is talking about. I don't even know. I don't know nothing about, you know, and it's like, it's like I might as well not even read it because I don't. But then a week later, something that I read will pop back up in my mind when something happens and it'll be like, I get it. You know, it doesn't mean I understand the historical situation of what was going on in the context of the whatever, but God uses it to speak to me. So even when you read and you think, I didn't get nothing out of that. 
All you're doing is you're putting the puzzle pieces in there and the Holy Spirit puts them together as you walk out through your life. Does that make sense with me? So even don't be discouraged when you read and you're thinking, I'm one of them people that can't understand. If you have the Spirit of God, you can understand. Even if you don't understand at the time you're reading. Does that make sense? You, you read, you study, you have it read to you, you listen and, and you absorb. It's like, it's like taking in food. You know, you, you, you take in food, you can't see the nutritional deal that's going on in your, you know, whatever. You, you just do it knowing that that's what I need. I need food. So you take in God's word knowing that that's what I need. That's what God's going to use to speak to me, to feed me. So it's letting go. there's not going to control everything. You just do what he says. It's just being obedient. Right. And my point in all that was this is not some spiritual, mystical sit down and meditate and let's, you know, listen to God. It's in the book. It's in the book. It's not about clearing your mind so God can see it. It's none of that mystical mumbo jumbo crap. It's it's trusting in what God's word says. And, and putting God's word into you so that when God comes and he wants to do something, he'll grab the word that's in you and he'll speak it into your life. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Anything else? Oh, we got to go. Let me just read real quick and then we'll go. It says, he that, verse 24, making sure that you get this point. He that loveth me not keepeth not my saints. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So these things I have spoken to you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said to you. Okay, so that's just what we were talking about just a second ago. The Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance the things that I have said to you. All you have to do is listen to what Jesus said. The disciples at this point in time, they didn't have a clue what was fixing to go on. They didn't have a clue. Even after Jesus was was crucified, they didn't know what was going on. They were hiding from the Romans thinking they were going to go back to fishermen, being fishermen. and They had no idea. But when the Spirit came, it revealed everything. Everything fell into place and they became powerful preachers of righteousness. And that's what it does to us. We put His Word in us and He uses it. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And then he ends this section, this chapter, with the same admonition he had at the beginning. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He says, you have heard how I said I'm going away and I come again to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I'm going to the Father for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it's come to pass that when it has come to pass, you might believe. And then the last two verses, he said, from now on, I'm not going to talk much. He said, the ruler of this world's coming. He said, so get up and let's go. And they're going to make their way to the garden of Gethsemane. Okay, so the whole point of this passage is him encouraging his disciples. Started out with let not your heart be troubled. It ended with let not your heart be troubled. And all those things in the middle are promises. I'm going to come to you. The Spirit's going to come to you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. We're going to come and make our abode with you. We're going to dwell in you. Uh, But there's also... Over and over again, he makes sure we know who he's talking about. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The one who loves me will keep my word. The one who does not love me will not keep my sayings. Over and over again, he makes sure that in that section, he says, if you're one of these people that love me and you keep my sayings, 
then you have nothing to be troubled about, nothing to be afraid of because my word and my spirit is going to guide you. Make sense? Okay, let's go. Did somebody want to say something? Good? Anybody got anything? Okay, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your spirit, God, that uh, fills us and just uh, intercedes when we don't know even what to pray for, God. We thank you that, that you're just uh, watching over us, and we ask that you would just be with us, that you would help us to do your will, that you would give us ears and hearts that are open to you as we go into worship today. We love you, Father. We thank you for all that you've done, and we just ask that you would just make us uh, make us vessels.